Welcome to FCAT After School, a podcast project from SFU's Faculty of Communication, Art, and Technology. In each episode, we join student hosts in conversation with alumni as they explore career journeys since graduation and gather advice for the next generation. episode, SCA, or School of Contemporary Art student Zoe Braithwaite sits down with Taiwanese actor, theater artist, and SFU alumnus Howard Dai. Howard discusses their experience working as a global theater artist today, from the newfound opportunities that have emerged post-pandemic to the challenges of adapting performance to the now all-too-familiar Zoom video format. In conversation with Zoe, Howard shares his insights on the importance of community and collaboration as an SCA alumnus. Here are the School of Contemporary Arts' own Zoe Braithwaite and Howard Dye on FCAT After School. I don't think any clock at SFU works. (laughs) They never move. Do you think that informs <laughs> how we make work? Do you think that... I, I think everything informs. When you it, live in this yeah. building, I think everything informs how you make work. Like, I thought about You never know clocks. what the time is and the clock is. Maybe that informs how I you work does. as an artist. Is you don't know when you take breaks or something. I don't know. Okay, so Howard, welcome back to the School of the Contemporary Arts. For those listening, we are here in the music studio at the Gold Corp campus on the unceded ancestral lands of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh nations. My name is Zoe Braithwaite. I'm the current third-year theater performance student here and the SCA's host for this season of the FCAT Alumni Podcast. I'm joined here today by incredibly talented Howard Dye. Howard, would you like to introduce yourself? Thank you. Uh, yes, I'm Howard Dye. I uh, graduated from SF Theater a few years ago. Um, I perform mostly. I, I do theater kind of in Vancouver for the most part. Um, perform and I also do some writing, some directing, some device creation work, and some small design and technical work as well. Just a bit of Exciting. everything, whatever. Whatever will hire me to do things. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Well, thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. So, yeah, I guess you being back here at SCA, I wanted to ask, you know, how does it feel? Um, It's going to lead to my next question, but just so far, how does it feel to be back in the space? You know what I love the most about the space, or just the building, is that the um, this building really has the maybe the best rehearsal studio in the city. Because when we were here, when I was here as students, we did access to these rooms and you book it. But like, basically it's available whenever there's no classes, it's available for you to use. And it's really like, now that we don't have access to these spaces, we realize how valuable (laughs) it is. It's just like, it's spacious. Yeah. And really it's just like, big wide open space. And then there's like, often there's like, sound borders or, lighting for you to use to play around and you can't find that anywhere else in the city without paying a lot of money you see they're really the rehearsal spaces in Vancouver are really like in demand 
they're the pricey, or even if they're not pricey, they're just like always full the whole time. Mm. And so you can like squeeze in like an hour or two hours blocks, but it's never enough time for you to do anything. And so whenever I come back and look through the window, it's like, <laughs> oh, I just miss being able to come, come in here and use the space. Yeah. That's so fun to think about because I feel I and most of my peers are so tired of being in the space like all day, every day. Yeah. yeah. And so it's, it's good to remind ourselves this is a very cool opportunity and we should be very grateful for it. I mean, we're paying to be here. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and it makes sense. This, it, we, yeah, like you spend all day, all day every day yeah. in these studios, right? <laughs> yeah. And um, it really informs how you make work. Like yeah. the way we're trained, it's very like architecturally informed. Totally. You kind of consider space as part of the parameters we make work. And so coming in here, doing the work we make, in a way, the space is so big and you have, mm. we have the luxury of the space that it's often, it's not really a container. Uh, like yeah. It doesn't really restrict much. And for the most part, anything you, you want to do, you can do in these yeah. spaces. And so I think that also allows SFU grads maybe to use the space well and also like be able to do like say specific work because they're trapped in a box the whole time <laughs> and they're often thinking outside the box yeah. but then it's just interesting to, to come back and consider how we made work in relation to the space knowing the space we had access to yeah i know you had a long running in creating and performing your project new societies and i'd love if you could talk to that that relationship between what we know theater to be and how that transforms with the openings of game design and how it transforms on the digital platform to live spaces. Mm -hmm. I had the feeling that I was maybe going to talk about this. Yeah. So I underneath this shirt, I have my... Ooh. Is it worth it? <laughs> the New Society's shirts? We went on tour this summer and so we got this merch made and got all of our tour dates in the back. Yeah, New Society's. Um, just for a bit of context... This was in 2019. So the main kind of the, the concept master brain behind this project was Brian Postalian. And he was here at SFU doing his MFA in interdisciplinary studies, whatever yeah. the MFA mm -hmm. uh, offers here in SFU. And his concentration was in game design, game theater design. And in 2019, I think was the year where he was forming this thesis project called New Societies. And it was this large scale interactive board game experience where we kind of question the idea of utopia and how people can come together to build their utopia. And so he pulled in many of like his other MFA cohorts and mostly BFA theater students and design students to come in. And so there was a cast of 11, 12. It was a team of like 13 or something when he first did it here at Studio T at the fall of 2019. And then in 2020... Over the pandemic, we kind of just had a conversation about, all of us had a conversation about what it would look like if we do it, if we did it online. Mm -hmm. And just to say like Brian was leading the project, but it was kind of co-created by everyone else on the project because we spent a few weeks in the, in the summer of 2019 and then right before the show in the fall to kind of design this game together. And what was really interesting is that it felt less like a theater rehearsal, but more like a board game <laughs> design meeting because we were there, we spent really many weeks there with the whiteboard of figuring out almost equation of like how mm. the points will work and we had like i brought in a box of poker chips at one point we like 
workshop all these ideas of what the game will look like. And so it started with that index tar, which is like, I remember we had index tar and we just with Sharpie drew like one stripe or three stripes in like one to three points. Just yeah. That was the tars we were going to draw. And so we went from there, beautiful design by Christian Ching, who was a production student here and the sonographer of the show who together with Brian designed these intricate pieces. And so it really became a board game project because we have these custom made things that went along with it. But what was really special about our project was that you, you can't really do it without the performers, without the facilitators. Yeah. And so it was really a hybrid of kind of live theater performance and the board game experience. And mm. so yeah, in 2020, we mind melded and, and figured out a way to transition that adapted it into online. And it was again an effort between everyone involved on the team. And so these are all like theater students who uh we all had experience doing it in person already and trying to retain kind of the, the core of the show, which was how to get people talking to each other and interacting yeah. with one another and how to maintain these like, because uh, it's really, it feels like a conversation piece that I feel like the meat yeah. of the experience is we ask these evocative questions in circumstances to the players and they have to work together or against one another, however they like to, but to kind of consider these, sometimes the mirror these mirroring events happening in our real, real world, but set in this kind of fictional game world. And yeah. so them having to like, you know, figure out what they want to do, where their values lie and mm -hmm. how they collaborate with one another. So we were able to kind of retain that to, brought, to bring it online. It's still tricky because we did it first over Zoom. And with everyone's Zoom etiquette, <laughs> what everyone had learned is that you just mute your microphone Yeah. when you're not talking. And yeah. the, the theme, the really the <laughs> the experience of that show is when you're in person, you're sitting one, next to one another, and yeah. you start to chit chat with your fellow players, and then something will come up, and you're like, you're all talking like kind of over one another about what to do. And with Zoom, it kind of, it felt limiting in a way where we still try to do a lot of that, but people are being polite. They're like not talking mm. over one another, or if they do, like you can't hear anything because it just canceled out. And so I think we had a good run, but we we still like did the best we could and we had a good run and then this past summer we had the opportunity to go on a tour to Ontario to three cities yeah we did it in person again so that was interesting too instead of reverting back to what we did in 2019 it was really adapting it back again to in person just we had discovered quite a few things that was really helpful and effective in the online version and then we bring it back again and it was nice to again that was that for May that was the first time even though we've been doing the show online the first time we all got in the same room together again after two, three years. And these are folks that like we've known since 2019 or even before that. These are all yeah. SFU theater people. And so it's nice to be in a room again. And even for me, like I had so much fun doing that in-person show because for me, part of the joy is also this ensemble that we've created together over the three years. And even just, I'm able to perform the show knowing that I truly, truly everyone else had my back. Yeah, Everyone else had been doing the show for three years and we all know the show inside and out so well. And it allows for this flexibility where there's just a lot of improvisation in that show where someone can give me a proposition, I can like make up something mm -hmm. and I can go back. There was a, a point of a show where we all came to the center and we did to talk to one another to check in and I just told them a few words and they know exactly how to handle it. And so it really allows me to be free to play because I know everyone else will have my back. And uh, for me, I, I think for the audiences doing that show and for me doing performing that show really the the joy of it is the ensemble and getting to be in the same room and life creates and play with my collaborators yeah, in real time. That's so exciting. 
I feel like for myself, I started this program when everything was online. Uh And so that very beginning of building a cohort wasn't there because again, like you were talking about like on Zoom, this whole thing of mute your mic, don't talk unless (laughs) you have to. Mm -hmm. Um, And so there's so much of that like bonding that felt like it was missing. And so, I mean, now I'm here in my halfway through my third year nearing the end of this program and I feel like oh my goodness there's such a weird gap in between Mm -hmm. it all I feel like just now am I having that experience of like I don't know what the right word is like jiving or meshing with my people where I can have that like look at them and know what's going on you know um which is exciting now but then it's like oh well now now that everything's ending this feels so like unknown what happens after this does it go back to before when don't really talk to each other unless we have to do does that stay alive and I mean I think you can offer some good wisdom to this as someone who as we mentioned graduated in COVID kind of being thrown into a time of how do I go about navigating any of this I mean how do you navigate the unknown Mm -hmm. I uh was lucky that my cohorts, we kind of kept things going, or at least with a lot of my collaborators, we uh, have been finding ways to just get back into studios. And I think because it happened so quickly at the end of our program that we Mm -hmm. didn't get a proper send-off in a way, that we were craving ways to just get back in the room together again. Yeah. And so I wonder if we get a chance to kind of go back in the room together and, and make things. And... I think, I mean, this is, I also like, I'm always looking at a silver lining. I'm, I feel really lucky coming into the, out of the pandemic, at least two years, 2020 mm-hmm. to 2022, there was a lot of residencies that opened up. Mm. Started with online residencies. But then, yeah, there's just like all these like arts recovering funding mm. and all these things that have been supporting the artist. And I felt like, and I wonder also because I, haven't graduated. I didn't graduate until the pandemic. So I yeah. don't know whether there was actually <laughs> more opportunities right. compared to pre-pandemic. But I really did feel like there was quite a bit of, especially residencies floating around. And it all started online where you started with Zoom chats with mentors, etc. But I also found it really lucky that I feel like theater in Canada is quite a small community. And that once you get quite established, you tend to go back and forth between other Canadian cities quite a bit. Mm. But over the pandemic, there's a lot of opportunity that became national. Like, like mm. in Toronto, that became available to us. Otherwise, we right. were going to have to fly to Toronto to do things. But there was a lot of things, a lot of residencies that became available to Vancouver residents happening in Toronto. And so I got to connect with quite a bit of artists from all over the country, which thinking about it now, maybe I wouldn't have had a chance to do if it wasn't for the pandemic because everything had to be online. And so I also felt lucky that like I got to create all these connections and like new societies when we were online, yeah. we like went on the tour. We got presented in Ontario twice, but we were in our bedroom going on the <laughs> tour to Toronto, yeah, you know, but yeah. we never left our bedroom. And so in a way it was, like, oh, my resume, I have like a credit in a Toronto theater yeah. without even having to go there. And so I also just like always looking at Silver Lining, just felt lucky that all these things became available to us. And I think 
theaters have recognized how valuable that is to artists that they're often keeping a lot of these things or things that doesn't have to be in person, they're keeping it available to, to, to have more accessibility maybe across the country. So I think there's a lot of residencies or things still available all over the country that is available to us. And so I would say just like keep seeking out these residencies and not just looking in Vancouver because it's still quite small, but looking into other companies like even in the States or even somewhere else that has international opportunity online. Yeah, yeah. that seems to be the huge silver lining that's come out of all of this is mm-hmm. that interconnection globally because of the internet and realizing how much can exist in a digital space. Uh, I see a lot of shows. Well, I've tried to see as many shows as I can. That's one thing I, I like really make sure I keep doing is I go out to interact with work that's been staged in the city. And it's, one is a small community as well, so it's nice to support your colleagues when they do work. But for me, I f- feel like that's the best way to like, I mean, one, have a pulse on what the city is looking at and mm-hmm. looking at the audiences to know, oh, is this some, like, who's coming out to these shows? Are they liking the show or, or not? How is the mm-hmm. show being done? And just figuring out and just like walk amongst these people to figure out what the city is and what the rhythm and city is like right now tonight when the work is being presented and yeah the more shows i see i feel like i I learn things from watching shows that people learn how to make movies from watching movies i I barely watch movies i'm terrible at this (laughs) that's why i don't make movies but i I see a lot of plays and for me uh, play performances dance sometimes trying to see more dance but it's just like going out to see things and no often that's that's not possible for many people just for accessibility as well. But you no, know, thankfully with pandemic, there's also a lot of shows that's also accessible online yeah. now. And so just like exposing myself to works that's been done in the city, I feel like really helped me as an artist. And not that it's a practice per se, but I feel like that's something, that's really one of the few things I, I really make sure I do as often as I can. Yeah, no, for sure. I, um, I was listening to another podcast this morning and they had referenced this like paraphrase Quentin Tarantino quote that was like, if you love movies and are obsessed with them, it's impossible for you to make a bad movie. Mm -hmm. And I think that's the essence of what you're saying is, yeah, by the constant exposure to work, you learn so much. I know a lot of your work explores culture and identity you know, some of which could be sensitive personal material. You know, I think of the project that, as you were talking about, like your writing, I mean, you wrote Pineapple Bun and, and using um, like bits from your childhood and memories. Um, so how do you like pitch and market work like that without feeling like you have to commodify it and exploit it? Yeah, no, that's a good question. That's always a, yeah, grant writing is often a, a yucky spot because it feels like sometimes you have to check boxes, you know, like with the, either there's like a grant buzzword, so you have to kind of guess. Because part of what grant writing also means is uh, what you would start with in grant writing is to go look at the, the funding body and you see, you read their guidelines and you look at their funding focus of the year. This, often they will like poster like, these four years, here's <laughs> what we're wanting to fund. And they give you like these big directions. 
and you kind of look at what they want. Just these are what the jurors will be given. Yeah. Say, oh, here's what, what what we want the funds, and then you look at the words they're using, and you're trying to pick out those words <laughs> and say and use those words in your grant because the jurors can look at them and go, oh, I remember, like that's the <laughs> word I'm supposed to fund. I'm going to fund that word, right? Yeah. And so it can often feel yucky, but uh, this is again I, 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 what I really appreciated coming out of the school is being able to articulate your what you want to do. Yeah, because I think. There were many opportunities when I was in school to get to question or to get to articulate what it is we're interested in yeah. and why we do the things we do. And a lot of times our class, our black box, our main stage came with a research question. Yeah. And we don't know what a show is going to be, but it came with a, a prompt, a, re- a research question going like, here's what we're exploring. And we spent a whole semester exploring it and it culminating in a show. But really, it's all the process in exploring this one phrase or this one topic with this one idea and so uh, and then through you know through the months of making that show in main stage or black box i'm sure you're familiar you're mm-hmm. you have these discussions in the middle you you go back and you talk about what it means you talk about how this relates to the thing you talk about the discovery that came out of that and so it's being able to like talk about the art we're making that really feels valuable so that even when, we start, when i started to write grants i can actually just sit down and just write without thinking about any Nothing about grants. Yeah. Just writing about what it actually means for me, why I'm doing this, etc. And so, I think, for the most part, if you're able to articulate kind of truthfully what it is you're interested in, they are interested in that they will they will fund it because well, not that they will fund it, but then <laughs> like the jurors could see whether you're genuine and you're you're actually interested in something. Yeah. And yeah, I, I also like I will say with grants, I've got a lot of mentors. Graduating theater school really helped me out. Mm-hmm. So I uh, did an internship with Rice and Beans Theater for quite a while. Still am associated with them. And they're two uh, SFU theater alum, uh, Pedro Jamale and Derek Chan. And they, you know, 10 years ago, they graduated and kind of did the same thing to make their own work. And so working with them, they were really supportive and kind of giving me, letting me re- look at their grants, but also just really cultivated me and, and uh, helped me along with what is going to make me succeed. And so I will say like this work we have to do on our own, but really just connecting. Like, the mentorship really goes a long way. Yeah, yeah. that's awesome advice. Um, and yeah, things to think about because that it is seems to be a bit of a taboo topic talking about grants and how people go about applying for that. Well, but like, uh, yeah, <laughs> Grants like we all need the grants to survive. Like exactly. Vancouver, yeah. Maybe Vancouver, maybe in BC, like compared to a lot of other provinces, and especially the states. I think there is a lot of opportunities for us to make our own work. And you know, in in Canada Council for the Arts, MBSR's councils have like specific grants focused on new artists, emerging artists, so that we get like often like extra opportunities to get funded. And yeah, so I, I was really supported by mentors along the way or, or other colleagues who very generously share with me their grants. And so now, you know, if other people ask me for my grants, I'll happily share with them. Just we're not competing with one another in a way like we're all trying to uplift each other and help each other out. And if one person did it, that's a great win for the community altogether. Yeah, yeah, that's a beautiful sentiment. I, it's really refreshing to hear that. Thank you, Howard. Thank you. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's really been a pleasure talking with you. And where can people find you next? 
on the stage, on the webs? Um, you can find me on the web, I guess. <laughs> uh, HowardDye.com. I just try to like, ah, oh, this is like really one of the most websites. So it feels so narcissistic or like you're telling people like, who's actually going to read it? Um, but that's where I post things. I'm on Instagram. It's my name without a D. It's Howard AI. It's just one D in my name. Howard AI. And um, next time I'm doing anything, I'm not on stage for this, but I am um, as part of this uh, apprenticeship fund. I am assistant directing Forgiveness, adapted by Hiro Kanagawa at uh, Arts Club. That will go up in February. January. February. Uh, <laughs> next spring. And it's a co-pro with uh, it's Arts Club in Theatre Calgary. So I'll be in rehearsal for that. Middle of December. And then, yeah, I'll be on stage early next year. That's yeah. so exciting. Okay, well, I'll have to check that out. And hopefully everyone listening will too. Thank you so much. A big thanks to Howard Dye for joining us here on the show. You'll find links and resources mentioned in our show today and more info on Howard and the SCA program in our show notes. Our host for this episode was Zoe Braithwaite. Production is by Zoe and me, Stacey Copeland. FCAT After School respectfully acknowledges the Musqueam, Squamish, Tsleil-Waututh, Katsi, Coquitlam, Kakite, Kwantlen, Semiamu, and Tawasin peoples on whose unceded traditional territories our three campuses reside, and where many of the stories shared in our series take place. Make sure to rate and subscribe to FCAT After School in your podcast app of choice so you don't miss any of our upcoming episodes. You can also find us on social media, FCAT at SFU, that's F-C-A-T at S-F-U, on Twitter and Instagram a new episode of FCAT After School, hitting your feeds January 4th after a short winter break. See you next time.